Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Can you teach collaboration, empathy, creativity, and transparency in the virtual world? Sure, you can teach it, but it won't change behavior. To change your behavior, you and your team must immerse yourselves in creative experiences. On today's podcast, Dr. Fred Mandel and Harvey Seifter, founders of Futures That Work, demonstrate how to build the competencies required to succeed in the two-dimensional Zoom world by engaging your team in the three-dimensional worlds of art and science. Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. And I'm your co-host, Ginny Bianco Mathis on the East Coast. And I am with my wonderful partner. Um, Who are are you, Simon? So so for those listeners out there, uh, this is one of our first uh, recordings where we're not seeing each other. So so Ginny only knows me by by seeing my face. Then the name pops up. Yeah, it's on the West Coast. Oh, yes. Co-host, who is unforgettable, Mitch (laughs) Simon. Yes, Mitch. So welcome. Thank you. And we are so happy today to be interviewing two wonderful people who have a, I believe, we believe, a a very interesting and meaningful twist on the whole uh, concept of leadership and remote leadership. And that is Fred Mandel and Harvey Seifter. And we are together to discuss their work, um, working with leaders, and um, a touch of how they are using art and learning uh, in that field. Welcome, gentlemen. Very happy to be here. Thanks, Jimmy. Yes, so so happy to, that you all are here. So to begin with, let's begin with an easy question. How have you all fared? What have you learned uh, through your COVID journey year? Well, let, let me take a crack at that because uh, with all due respect, Ginny, it's not an easy question. Uh, let, me, let me just start by saying, I think like many people who were hit by covid the initial reaction was, well, what am I losing? Uh, and kind of stepping back from that and realizing that I had to develop a creative mindset yeah. and ask a different kind of question, even though COVID is taking some things away, maybe, just maybe I'm gaining some things. So I tried to look at it from that angle. And when I did, I realized that there were two things that I was gaining uh and that, that represented an opportunity for me. One was to deepen my relationship with people in a different way. And the other was time. I now had more time yes. to do some of my painting. One of the things that I realized in that process, in reading the newspapers and listening to news on TV, there was a lot of attention being paid to essential workers. And they duly got their credit for the incredible work, frontline efforts that they put in. And that made me realize, well, maybe 
the arts are essential. Mm -hmm. Just like there are essential workers, there are the essential arts. And I began, began to get tuned into the way in which people were really drawing on the arts as a source of um, understanding and empathy and pathos and resilience uh, to help them get through the uh, COVID period. So for me, it was a way of getting reconnected with the arts uh, in a very deeply personal way as a kind of response to a major human challenge. And that represented a very different perspective for me. And it really reaffirmed in my own mind the importance and centrality of the arts in our lives, especially during times of great challenge. Right. That's fabulous. And we can talk more about that in in a bit. I'll share a couple of quick thoughts about uh, maybe the professional journey that, that we've been on during this period. So COVID caught us with, with a lot of projects that were uh, in process or about to be launched. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that it was going to be impossible to, and for the foreseeable future, impossible to work the way that we had been. So um, looking at, at what might become possible, my own uh, model for all of this was actually uh, reading about Sir Isaac Newton and what he did in, in, in the play year in London uh, 400 years ago when he mm -hmm. got to he had no choice but to evacuate London and drop his, his professors up and stop teaching and all the projects he was working on and just think fresh about some big questions. And, of course, what ultimately came out of that was a whole fundamental renaissance and enlightenment in science. Right. So um, for us, there were three kind of major questions. One, uh, so much of our work, because arts-based learning is a very powerfully experiential kind of learning. It's a very human learning. It's things that bring people in very close and intimate uh, connection with themselves and each other, the materials that they work with. And suddenly we're doing it on Zoom and behind screens and yeah. sort of have these, these taboos that sort of believe basically that that wasn't going to work, that that couldn't work. And so we kind of had no choice but to decide, well, it has to work. So how is it going to work? And, ended up reinventing things that, that are wonderful new ways that enrich the ways that we had been using in, per, in person and will become part of our hybrid future. The second is that our model for scaling before was all in working with more and more and larger groups of people. And mm -hmm. We'll continue to do that. But we began to think that maybe what we ought to be doing is working with people who work with other people. And we began a whole coaching program with coaching certification and ways of working with our with our learning tools and our measurement instrument and bringing them to more people that way. The final thing was I had this wonderful measurement instrument that it invented uh, six or seven years ago, uh, growing out of the research that I did with the National Science Foundation. And But it was an analog instrument, and we used it with several thousand people, but that was kind of the outer limit. And we took this year to take it apart to first principles and rebuild it as a digital instrument and one which is very scalable and which actually launches uh, later this month. So maybe I'll start with just a little bit about some of the elements of connection between art leadership and learning. So um, I spent a number of years uh, directing a series of, of National Science Foundation funded research projects that really dug into exactly that question. How do the arts help leaders learn? How do they 
and, and can they, in fact, help them to surface creativity, uh, foster collaboration, uh, emotionally intelligent behavior, innovation, resilience, and in fact, what we learn through experimental research and then through incubators that we set up that actually tested this at, at scale in the field is that the arts have very powerful and unique impacts in, in, in those areas. And that really a relatively small amount of work with arts-based learning can transform the way that leaders view their leadership, the way that teams view their collaboration, and how people are able to, to, to create and innovate and function effectively in these kinds of environments. And in fact, it, 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 we found that as little as nine hours of work with arts-based learning for, for a team or for a leader can lead to very significant measurable changes. And it works across lots of different art forms. I sort of think of arts-based learning as a kind of tapping into a universal alphabet of creative expression, mm -hmm. uh, which is available to everybody. And that in a sense, you can teach almost anyone, almost anything, with almost any art form, if you do it right. Well, and let's let me push you. How? Um, what are the changes that happen to people? Yeah. So um, one set of changes is around creative thinking skills, and what we find is that people uh, begin to find. So if you think of creative thinking as having a couple of different dimensions, one is that there's a divergent phase and a convergent phase. So the divergent phase is, we think of that as outside the box thinking and lots of different possibilities. Right. The divergent phase, which is critical to actually getting results and outcomes and moving to the next level, is all about the application of criteria, making good choices. And we find that both of those things happen better when people are spending some time doing arts-based learning. We also found that when teams spent a little bit of time doing arts-based learning, they be, it began to change the way they collaborated. We found that out because we actually set up teams in a laboratory environment and uh -huh. we, measured, we measured their behaviors, every single behavior we could possibly track over a five-week period. And what we discovered is that teams that spent a few hours working with arts-based learning exhibited dramatically more emotionally intelligent behaviors like trust, mutual respect, transparency, openness to new ideas, all of these kind of key elements for collaboration. Finally, the actual results in innovation. Again, we saw dramatic differences as much as two points in a five-point scale between teams that, that, that were working on innovation projects and teams that were working on innovation projects but added in this dimension of arts-based learning. Hmm. So we, we have lots of evidence which backs up what many of us know anecdotally from our own lives which is that the arts are very powerful and wonderful things and they change us and they change us in ways that are enormously helpful and that resonate in, in unexpected, but very consequ consequential ways. Let, let, let me jump in here for a minute, Ginny, because I really yeah. appreciate the connection you're making between art leadership and, and learning and uh, Harvey's response. I was a senior executive for American Express for a number of years and I can tell you that as a leader in a organization, I did not wake up every morning and ask myself, well, gee, how can the arts help me be a better leader? How can the arts help my organization be You're better? Right. My considerations were a lot more practical. They were, well, how can I make my team's 
work more collaboratively together? How can I get them to think more innovatively? How can I create a high-performing team? Those are the way, ways organizational leaders formulate the challenges that they're facing. What we've been able to do, though, is to respond to those questions, be able to deliver highly practical, compelling, and impactful arts-based learning interventions, exercises, workshops that drive the outcomes that leaders are looking for in their uh, in their organizations. Well, let me yeah, let me jump in right now. Can bring this alive for us. Share with us an arts-based learning experience that you may take a leader and the leader's team through, and then what happens? So uh, there are many. Uh, And one of the things that I want to mention is when we talk about arts-based learning, we are talking about the full range of the arts, not just the visual arts, not just music or jazz or classical music. We're talking about poetry. We're talking about theater. We're talking about movement and dance. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're even talking about an ancient Japanese form of painting called sumanagashi painting. So we pull in and integrate all of the different arts. But we recently were working with a large organization, and they wanted to drive collaboration. It was interesting. It was a matrixed organization, which mm-hmm. means they had different uh, reporting relationships. And we brought in a chamber um, quartet. Wow. And we had them perform in front of about 125 uh, of their leaders. Yeah. First, we had them practice what they were going to perform. They did a live practice in front of the audience. They then took what they practiced and they actually performed it. And it was breathtakingly beautiful. It was in person. It was very dynamic. Just to build on that one for a second, one of the things that's really powerful in that kind of work is that we actually try to take people and put them inside the musical ensemble. Mm. So that they're looking over the shoulders of the musicians. So they're seeing things through the eyes and from the perspective of the different museum, the different musicians. In the rehearsal, they have moments of conflict. They work through dozens of different ideas. They yeah. work through it in real time. They give each other feedback. And then they find ways to move forward incredibly quickly and incredibly effectively. And that's the, there, there are so many lessons for teams, for leaders, right. for everyone in all of that. What, what, one of the outcomes of that particular engagement was that these this organization was organized, as I mentioned, around teams. And those teams would form for projects that would last six weeks or six months or 18 months. Uh, and as I said, they want to be more collaborative. When we returned after the ensemble performed for them, and as Harvey mentioned, we debriefed the practice, uh, what they, they took us aside and they said, you know, we are no longer going to be calling our teams teams. We're now going to be calling them ensembles. <laughs> And the reason for that is we want to incorporate into the way we behave the same way in which the ensembles practiced and performed. So right. that's an example where arts-based learning not only has resonance, but it can change a culture and an organization and the language that people use. 
to give you a sense of some of the other, take you inside a few of the other types of experiences and the kind of aha moments that that can lead to. Fred mentioned a, a, a moment ago, Suminagashi. So we work with Suminagashi because this is, this is a really remarkable art form and you can create really beautiful things, but you do it working with the surface of water as your canvas. Hmm. And paints have to float on the surface of the water, and then you put some rice paper in, and you print some remarkable things. But the thing that's really incredibly unique and different and powerful about this for leaders is that you can't actually control a single element that you use in the art form. You can't control water. You can't really control where paint goes. You Mm -hmm. can't control much of anything except yourself. But what you can do is you can, in different ways, influence the outcome, shape it, maybe edit it a bit. And in that kind of, 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 of challenge and working through that, leaders see a very powerful and experience, a very powerful metaphor for the way that so much leadership has to take place today, which is in situations where leaders have no formal authority, where right. they're leading from the middle, where they have no choice but to lead through influence. And because... They don't really have the control to do command and control. Right. We work with um, we work with uh, theater on a process that we call rehearsing ideas, which takes kind of the basics of of how you rehearse both music and theater, and turns it into an experience where participants end up doing four prototypes in two or three hours and learning. <clears throat> excuse me, learning from uh, from the rehearsal process how you actually take hundreds of new ideas, work through them quickly and productively, and don't avoid controversy, but also don't get derailed by controversy and find yeah. to the best possible choices with real-time feedback. And there are very powerful tools that grow out of that that shape things in the real world pretty profoundly. One of the first steps in rehearsing ideas is something that we call thinking with hands. And what it is, is building idea models with different kinds of of objects. And where the whole idea is you don't describe what you want to build and and discuss it. You actually build and the discussion takes place with and through and while building. And you learn it as you do it. So you're actually making these things to learn about your Ah. ideas to give them shape, which which works wonderfully in practice. And then we hit Zoom. Yep. So, okay. So it, 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 it took some thought. And what we discovered is that if you set people up to succeed with that, teams can find some remarkable ways of working in Zoom on, a, on that kind of a hands-on collaborative project. And the, 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 the leadership and collaborative learnings are even deeper because mm. Yes, so they all had to have their own boards, and they all had to have their own materials. We sent them some so that they would be the same, and others they supplied. And then they had to discuss among themselves as they were building and pointing. Then they had to appoint somebody who was going to build the actual model, and then to agree on collaborative rules to, to do this. But again, they had to do all that pretty much in real time, not sitting down and discussing, okay, now we're going to figure out this and that, but just as a mashup while doing and all in an hour. Wow. Now, in, in, in person, we do this in 20 minutes. Over Zoom, it takes more like 45 to 60 minutes. But as you can imagine, what they learn is incredible. And, and as you said, deeper. 
Yes. Right. And the, the, the other thing I would mention, Ginny, is that for a long time, people were waiting to get to the other side of this uh, pandemic yeah. and that the virtual world would kind of melt away and we get back to, quote, normal. But the reality is we're not going to get back to that ever right. again. And therefore, there is a premium in developing the kinds of skills and communication to be effective uh, in the virtual world, because we're, we're, we're moving toward a hybrid world. We don't exactly know what the balance is going to be. Uh, and we have found that the arts continue to be a incredibly engaging three-dimensional experience in a two-dimensional medium. Right. So right. the virtual world is basically two-dimensional. The art experience is three-dimensional. And we've been able to design experiences that give them the, retain the three dimension, even though the communication amongst the participants is two dimensional. And that's very, very powerful because it begins to shift the paradigm uh, and help people appreciate that the world that we're entering into is going to be an interplay between three dimensions and two dimensions. Oh, absolutely. And and I know your your company is called Creating Futures That Work. And I am sure you're aware of a lot of the futurists, and we have interviewed a few of them, um, have been talking about leaders and teams and the virtual way, almost um, uh, like theater. And having yes. to incorporate, as one person said, incorporate everything that Disney does. <laughs> yes. That that we are now might have new job descriptions for people on leadership staffs who can put together these very creative um, happenings, events. Yeah, it's it's all about engagement, and and, and how do you engage people in? not only getting work done, but how you learn. And, uh, you know, le learning, we believe, happens through experience. Exactly. Most, most, most traditional learning has been, okay, here's your concept. Now let's practice the concept. Here's how it works and apply it. We turn that upside down. Yes. And we immerse people in the experience. Then what happens is they discover the concept through the experience and yeah. it ends up being much more durable because they discovered it themselves. It's more durable and it's more resonant, but to really do it, you have to be ready to do it, which means you have to be ready to do things very differently than the way you're used to doing. Yes. Which, which brings me to my next question about what kind of challenges yeah. would leaders have in thinking about, doing this, which I believe they're going to have to do. Yep. So I, I, I think there, there, there are a few. One of them is that, as Fred said, people aren't necessarily thinking about how am I going to learn and grow. They're also not necessarily thinking about how can I engage art in that learning. It, the idea may be nowhere near their consciousness on their radar. And so it's important that leaders 
be open to that. And what we do to help them be open to that is we, we give them some resources that can serve as kind of permission, both in their own minds and with peers and colleagues. And a lot of the work that we've done with science and the evidence and the data about impact and the neuroscience behind it, that's why we do that, because it helps people to understand why this really matters. So the second thing is that the connections still aren't always obvious. And so uh, we need people to be ready to suspend their disbelief. Yeah. Of course, we need that, but they need that. And they need that not only for work in this kind of way, but if we think about this era, if we think about the, the era that we're coming out of as a VUCA era, I don't know what you want to call this one, VUCA 2.0, yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever we call it, it's, it's not going away. It's getting more and more intense. And so leaders to succeed in this have to be able to go beyond the obvious connections. They have to be able to suspend their disbelief and be willing to, to try and experiment. They have to be willing to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and recognize their own responsibility in on their teams and in their organizations with helping people to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That right. We have safety, security. The, the old organizational model used to place a premium on scaling efficiency. When you had a fixed structure, efficiency became the coin of the realm. What we're talking about now is a major shift from scaling efficiency to scaling learning. How do you scale learning in an organization? And as Harvey mentioned, we firmly believe that the a platform for doing that is the arts, uh, and it's especially resonant for the world that we're living in today. Yeah. So I just want to get that in. No, no, that's excellent. Um, and... What, um, so I'm thinking I'm a leader, for them to get intrigued about this, I would suspect the best way is just to take them through one of the exercises. Sure. Yeah, and and say what, uh, how might this be beneficial to you and your team, especially as you're looking forward uh, to the future in, in this environment. Um. And we have a lot of resources that can, that can help people to get inside this, to understand it firsthand. We do uh, demonst little demonstration workshops. We have videos. Uh, we can take people through all kinds of, of, of short activities where they'll, they'll get the point of it because it being arts-based experiential learning, the best way to get to know it is to experience it. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, and and I and you also I heard you mention uh, the neuroscience behind a lot of this, yes. which is very um, pertinent. You know, like just for example, one neuroscience fact is if you can get the person to have an aha moment, it triggers in their brain, it becomes a learning, and it makes them interested in embracing it. Absolutely, which and, and then happens with virtual. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and another one that, that I think is pretty important is that when you experience art, when you work with it, when you do this kind of arts-based experiential learning, you trigger the same neural circuitry that triggers empathy. Yes. Yeah. Which is, which is exactly what we're going for with a lot of these people who don't, a lot of these people, a lot of leaders don't want to go there. Right. 
Yeah. Yep. Um, I was I was interested in what types of aha moments are the participants in your workshops having? If you could share those. Fred, you want to talk about? Uh, they're, they're all over the place. I mean, one of the things that Ginny experienced, for instance, in the mini workshop that we did was we had uh, we, we handed out a an image of something and we asked people to draw exactly what they saw. And of course, everyone was a little bit nervous because they didn't think they could draw at all. So they followed the lines and they drew it. And then we asked them to turn the image upside down. And lo and behold, what emerged was a horse. But when they saw it upside down, it was just a bunch of lines. When they turned it upside down or right side up, they realized that they had actually drawn a horse and they had rendered it in fairly accurate terms. And people who had never taken an art class, never taken a drawing class, oh my God, it's I amazing. Couldn't draw. It was amazing. Uh, so th that's a small example of an aha. And what that does is it reveals that so many of us are subject to self constraining uh, beliefs uh, and that uh, we need to break through those in order to tap into the creativity that we all actually possess. Mm -hmm. And whether we, and when we translate that, whether that's at the moment that somebody pulls the, the rice paper out of the water and realizes that by giving up control, but by exerting influence, they've painted this incredibly beautiful painting. Whether it's some of the work that we do with, with, with sculpture, where they realize that, that if they try to move their sculptures from a, a pose to an actual action of leadership, the sculptures tend to fall over unless they first address how they relate to the ground they're standing on and the, the, the power of that connection. There, there are literally hundreds of these moment, aha moments that people experience and stick with them. That's what's, exciting. what's also amazing about, about this is, you know, we've been focusing on what the individual aha is, but when we do this with teams, the mm -hmm. team ahas are also extremely powerful. So I gave the example earlier of the ensemble coming in and we went away, and when we returned two weeks later, they had, as an organization, arrived at this huge aha that what is constraining us is that we're not acting as ensembles. So right. by changing our name, we'll then adopt the same behaviors. And that was, that was a major, major pivot in the organization, and it tangibly changed the way they performed. And one of the things that, that, that helps do that very powerfully is the assessment instrument that, that I was talking about earlier. Because in the moment you have the aha of the ensemble and you realize just what this kind of collaboration can do and, and how powerful it can be. But then if you're also generating some data that shows you how your teams are beginning to perform, the things that are changing, the ways that the team is going from essentially strangling some of the best ideas before ever getting to, to, to the point of action through groupthink and by operating as an ensemble, surfacing those best ideas. Yes. When that can be measured, that too leads to some real changes on the organizational level. All right, because you're taking um, a very creative process and you're showing some tangible results, which some people may need. Yes. So yeah. you are closing that gap. Yep, 
Exactly. Well, this is exciting. Share with us what your tips are for leaders going forward in 2021 and 22. Uh, three very quick ones. One is this is a time of remarkable opportunity and more extreme change than any that we've seen up until now. And so being ready for that. What does that mean? It means being ready to learn, being showing cognitive agility. So this is agility with a small A. The agility with a big A is good too. But, <laughs> but, but the individual and group cultural behaviors of, 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 of an agile mind are so incredibly important. And one of the keys to that is working with the arts because that, that's how we exercise cognitive agility, being mm. comfortable, being uncomfortable, and above all, whatever it is you thought as a leader about the importance of empathy, resilience, collaboration, creativity, and innovation before, that was absolutely nothing compared to how important those things are today and how much more important they're going to be. Exactly. I've got 10 recommendations for individuals. I'll read them off very, very quickly. For 2021, there's still time left in the year. Yes. Number one, visit a museum. Number two, compose a poem. Number three, draw a self-portrait. Number four, walk in the woods without your cell phone and breathe deeply. Number five, ask yourself, what is different about today and why does that matter? Number six, every morning ask yourself, what am I grateful for today? In the evening before going to bed, repeat and reflect. Number eight, listen to a different kind of music. Number nine, observe a child 18 months or younger playing. And number 10, eat a slice of pizza, beginning with the crust and working toward the tip. (laughs) Love that. Love it. Hey, guys, how can folks get in touch with you? Uh, Check out our website. It's futuresthatwork.com, www.futuresthatwork.com. There's a contact button. You can certainly use that. And there's also a chat button, and we'll respond very quickly to any, uh, any questions. If you chat button, we'll get back to you almost immediately. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Well, I, I want to listen to this whole thing again. A very exciting, a lot of, of pertinent tips and ideas for all leaders and teams going forward. And um, everybody, Harvey and Fred, Um, touch base with them. There's a lot more there that you can get into. And this ends another episode of Team Anywhere and see you next time.